0: This is Dr. Kate Eckert with the Form, Function, and Flow Lab podcast. I'm a chiropractor, yoga instructor, anatomy junkie, and movement educator, and I am looking forward to exposing you to all sorts of ways that you can prehab your body to avoid injury and maintain those hobbies, activities, sports that you love to do. And we'll also be focusing a lot on the pregnant and postpartum journey and making sure that you can return to those activities that you love, or even keep doing them while you're pregnant. Hi, this is Dr. Kate, and in today's podcast episode is going to be on how to avoid tearing in childbirth. Um, so this would be for a vaginal delivery. Um... And there are so many different factors, your own structure, your baby, how big, um, the position you're delivering in, what kind of things you're doing before labor. So these are just a few tips to help avoid that tearing. So if you don't know, there's different grades of tearing when it comes to um, having a tear postpartum. So... Sometimes it depends on the provider and that kind of thing. They will cut you to, in theory, avoid tearing more. And that's called an It's not done by everyone, um, but it is something that that some providers do. So that is a little incision from your um, vaginal opening back down towards the anal opening. So that's called your perineum. Um And people are kind of on the fence on if this is good or if it actually does help avoid um, tearing. So if we had a piece of paper and if this is your peridium, so vaginal openings here, anal openings here, this is the skin in between. If we're pulling on it, it's you know, got some substance to it. If we have an episiotomy, so it'd be a tear to theoretically help prevent more tearing here. And then you pull on on that area. It gives it kind of a weakened spot. So some people think that an episiotomy actually might make you tear worse. So there's not an agreement necessarily on what the best course of action there is. So If you go, if you do have tearing or you have an epizionomy, the the grading level would be um, level one, is the most common. And that would be just some superficial um, tearing of the skin. Uh, So definitely the most common and pretty easy to rehab after that. It's, you know, good to do some pernial massage and that kind of stuff, but, um, fairly, fairly easy to rehab. The next most common is the, um, type two tear. So the level two tear, it, it also tears the skin. So same idea, but it then moves towards the muscle. Um, so it also does involve, some muscle in it as well, which obviously is not great for our pelvic floor. So, um, and it's going into that vaginal wall, uh, and it does require stitches. The third degree of a vaginal tear goes a little bit further, and that goes um, into the muscles that surround the anus, so the anal sphincter. So, if you imagine vaginal opening perineum, anal sphincter, and then going towards the rectum, that third degree tear is going into the sphincter area. Now a fourth degree vaginal tear, which is like the worst of the worst goes all the way to the rectum. So through the sphincter into the rectum where you're trying to have bowel movements and that kind of thing. And that is going to require extensive repair Um, and a lot of therapy afterwards to regain, um, uh, pain-free bowel movements, pain-free sex, pain-free sitting, all sorts of things. It is much more intense. So, but even with that fourth degree chair, you can still rehab it and get back your function. Um, the, with that fourth-degree tear, some of the complications also could be fecal incontinence. So that would be same as urinary bladder incontinence, but for um, your anus, so defecation, that kind of thing. Um, now, with the those tears, we still want to address all the different levels, but we'll do a podcast on how what happens after you've had a tear but this is for how to prevent those levels of tears from happening ahead of time um one thing that can help prepare you for birth that you would do prior to delivering would be perennial massage so and again that perineum area is between the vaginal opening and the anal opening and it's basically what it sounds like. So, massaging the and you can use, um, you can have your partner do it. You can do it to yourself. You can use a wand um, with that massage. Especially when you're in your later stages of pregnancy, it's going to be pretty difficult area to access and to reach. Um, so, there are different tricks you can do to make it easier. You know, it, it's important to be. Um, very comfortable when you're, you're doing this and you want to think of relaxing and getting that, um, pelvic floor area to help, um, yield and relax and melt because that's going to also help if you're trying to deliver and your pelvic floor is very rigid, it's going to cause more trauma as you're delivering and maybe make the tearing worse. So, The perineal massage is important, and you can do that not just lying down on your back because sometimes reaching to the front to get to that area, again, is difficult depending on how you're proportioned or when you're pregnant with the larger belly. Then you can also do it on all fours or standing and leaning over. So you're reaching behind you, and you can use, again, your fingers, and you're going to... um, Place your finger on the perineum and you're going to draw back away. So towards the tailbone, you can draw out towards the bone you sit on and you want to use both hands so that you can go in all the different directions. Um, And then you can, that would be the perineal massage right on the actual skin surface. And you can also insert your finger into the vaginal opening or use the wand and insert it into the vaginal opening and do the same idea, but from the inside. So you're drawing towards the tailbone, towards the bone you sit on, towards the to the side, and then both directions. So either side. Um, now, if you're using, if you're a very tight or having trouble with that, you can always use a lubricant, and you can use a water-based lubricant or uh silicone-based lubricant if your tool is, if you're using a tool and it's silicone though, you would want to use water-based lubricant. Now, um, something to keep in mind is that you have a certain pH of your vagina and you don't want to introduce something that is of a totally different pH. And... Um, you can find the pHs of different lubricants on their packaging or on their websites, or you can reach out to them to see what their pH is. But the typical pH of your vagina is 3.8 to 4.5. So again, you don't want something that's way out of the south side of those ranges. Uh, cause I used to suggest a lot coconut oil because, you know, there's nothing in it. Um, very natural, but it's pH doesn't match up great with our, um, vagina. So if you're using it on the perineum outside, it should be fine. But if you're going to be using it with your finger inside the vaginal canal or with a tool, you're going to want to find a lubricant that is more pH- balanced with your vagina. So, um, the other thing you want to look for when you're trying to find that lubricant would be, um, as least amount of chemicals as possible. So trying to stay away from parabens and, um, scents or anything like that. Um, so that is on the perennial massage and the using the tool so the wand the dilator the your fingers anything like that so we have that hands on version of perennial massage so directly on the skin working that area and prepping it for labor you can also um, use indirect Um, massage of the pelvic floor. I just last week posted a video on our office page for how to do some indirect pelvic floor massage. So in it, I use a teeny tiny foam roller and a cordless ball. So the cordless ball deflated is much less pressure The uh, foam roller is a little more. You can use two nut balls. You can use a bigger foam roller. The more surface area there is, the less intense on, on the tissues. So if you wanted to start with a normal size foam roller that is softer, that would be easier to start with. The foam roller I used in the video is narrower in diameter, so it sits right nicely between the bones you sit on and accesses the pelvic floor a lot more directly. The gorgeous ball is good because it's much more forgiving and soft and you can deflate it down. So with that you would you would try to breathe into it and as you inhale and exhale, you really want to visually, ment- visualize mentally your pelvic floor yielding and relaxing to the surface that's touching it. So same thing with birth. I try to, if a patient is having trouble going into labor, I'll tell them to you know, close their eyes, bring, well, bring up an anatomy picture, see what their cervix looks like, see what their pelvic floor looks like. And imagine it softening and thinning and accepting the baby. I know that sounds woo-woo to people, but it definitely helps with that relaxation process. And same thing when you're doing release work to prep for labor is to try to get that area to relax because we don't want spasming happening when you're then going to try to push a large child outside of your body. Um, so we've got the direct perineal massage, we've got the indirect perineal massage. Um, the other thing I like patients to do is a lot of puppy pose and some pelvic floor relaxation techniques as they're working their way up to delivering. Um, and that just helps to prevent the spasming of the pelvic floor and to keep it as um, tax-free as possible with all the weight of your organs, your baby, the amniotic fluid, the placenta, all of those things. We want to try to give it a rest multiple times a day so that we don't have that spasming and we don't have that extreme tension when it comes time to deliver. Um, So those things are great to do all the way up until we deliver. Um, Now, the game changer for me personally, um, to deliver my 10 plus pound son who had a hundredth percentile head with only um, first degree... Tearing, so not even needing of any stitches or anything like that, was my awesome midwife providing perennial pressure while I was laboring and until it was time to deliver. So what is perennial pressure or um, how does that work? So... When I delivered my son, I was at the Midwife Center in Pittsburgh, and I was able to deliver however I wanted to because they're pretty open with positions and that kind of thing. So for that pregnancy, I was most comfortable on all fours, and it gave her nice access to apply pressure with her hands to my perineum. So essentially just holding pressure at... So here's my perineum. Baby's head is coming down and we're going to hold pressure there. Perennial pressure was a game changer for me. And she essentially just held pressure to my perineum as I, you know, got the baby all the way to that point where I was ready to push. And I've talked about this before when it came to the podcast, I think on epidurals, Um, I didn't have an epidural or, um, any meds or anything like that. So I could feel everything and I could feel the ring of fire and all of those things. And it wasn't terrible and excruciating. And she did let her hands off the perineum for a a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh, you need to put your hands back there. So, um, because I could feel everything from not having an epidural, I knew that my skin was being stretched to its limits and it needed a little help um, with her pressure there. So if you think about it, if you have an epidural and you feel nothing, you have no instinct to protect that area or to have someone protect that area for you because you can't feel it. So if you do choose the route to have an epidural, it might be something to consider to have your partner or nurse um, provide that perennial pressure for you, even if you can't feel that you need that support. Um, I didn't have anyone do it to me for my daughter, who was eight and a half pounds, but I labored in a different position. I labored kind of standing um At the hospital bed with my elbows resting on the bed and one knee up. So that shift of the pelvis, which helps in that middle transition area, and I was able to reach down and provide my own um perennial pressure for myself. Um, I think if it had been for laboring in that position for my son, I probably wouldn't have been able to provide as much as I needed since he was so much bigger. Um, so I feel like that is a huge game changer right in the moment of delivering. And again, be careful if you have an epidural or something like that, where you can't feel what's going on because you might not, it takes away that um, instinct to slow down and know that you're going too fast. The other thing is, is that coached pushing will cause tearing. So Sometimes practitioners feel the need to coach pushing when a patient has um, an epidural and that kind of thing because they can't feel as much. So they might not know when to push. And then they tell them when they're maybe fully effaced in 10 centimeters. That doesn't necessarily mean you're ready to push. Uh, Purely physiologic birth. So without an epidural or any pain meds. were cued to not push, do not push with all your might, try to resist it until your body cannot do anything else besides push the baby out. And that is really what I tried to do with my son because I was more calm and um, in a, in a scenario that I felt more comfortable with because I was at the birth center instead of the hospital. Um, and I was able to, Really resist the urges to push until it was time for him to come out, until I couldn't resist it anymore. So, if you have an epidural and you don't have that urge, I would, you know, try to. Well, so with the coached pushing, you push essentially before you're ready and before your pelvic floor is ready to melt open, allow the baby to come out easily. And then we can possibly have that tearing of muscle. And further back into the anal sphincter or the rectum. Um, so, slow the slow and steady wins the race. Definitely. Um, the other thing is being able to move into different positions because um, you, if your tailbone is scooped under, it's a little bit less movement and able to get the baby out through that pelvic outlet. And if you have a whopper of a kid like I did, then you might need every little millimeter of room to easily get the baby out. And so being able to move and get onto all fours was, I think pretty important for my labor. Um, So those are a few of the things with being able to avoid that tearing. Slowing down your birth, trying not to rush it. The slower the better when it comes, unless there's a complication or baby's in distress, of course. Baby's life is always more important than than those things. But if it's a normal, um, risk-free delivery, then slower is better. Perineal massage, indirect and direct beforehand, changing your positions often throughout labor so that you can help the baby navigate through the pelvis and get out easily. Um, And if you do choose to have an epidural, which is, you know, perfectly fine, just be aware that you might not be able to feel and have that instinct to slow down, to preserve yourself and preserve your pelvic floor and your, um, integrity of your of your vaginal wall so slowing down and having your partner do some perennial pressure you will thank me for that advice because i think that is by far the most important important part um, so if you have any questions about how to avoid tearing just let me know and i will try to answer them as best i can and if i don't have the answers i will try to find them for you have a good one. I look forward to working with you guys. And if you have any topics that you'd like discussed, make sure to comment below and let me know because I'd be happy to share all the knowledge that I have on those issues.